This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, December 23rd, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. One of the boogeymen for opponents of letting more people easily buy and sell homes, housing investors. Cato's Vanessa Brown Calder details why the critics are mistaken and why this particular boogeyman is more symptom than cause of a largely irrational housing market. We have a housing crunch in the United States. And while many investors, small investors, big investors, people who might want to own rental property someday, they they see their they see this housing crunch and they realize, well, I guess the window just closed on me buying a piece of rental property because the prices of housing that should that would then be put out as rentals, it's just never coming back to earth. And it's a I mean, for their for their sake, it's a legitimate concern. But at the same time, for renters, that means restricted supply. Absolutely. Yeah. I think people are really worried right now, and understandably so, with the way that the housing market has gone over the past few years and um, you know, hasn't come back down to earth. And some markets obviously have uh, greater problems than others. And there's been changes in demand and there's been in migration to various localities across the United States. And so a lot of pressure on housing markets right now. So one of the, I think you call it a boogeyman in housing is institutional investors. These are companies that own large, uh, a, a portfolio of either houses or apartment complexes or other housing. How are they cast? In, in people trying to lay some blame at their feet for problems in the housing market. Yeah. So the institutional investor narrative has been interesting. It's sort of um, got going during the financial crisis and maybe took a break for a little while. But during the pandemic, it came roaring back. And there's been a lot of focus, as you mentioned, on institutional investors over the past few years. The concern seems to be that institutional investors, they are buying up single family home housing stock now. That's really been the focus of the concern. And in doing so, they are outbidding non-investors who have access to fewer resources. So the idea sort of is that they take these homes off the market and that reduces the supply of homes for sale. And then that produces housing affordability problems, some of which, you know, we're all we just talked about and we're all dealing with. And my view is that that concern is mostly misplaced. Well, let's understand the some of the mechanics here. We have a certain supply of housing for sale. Somebody can buy it to own it. Somebody could buy it to, I don't know, tear it down and put in a putting green. <laughs> Somebody could buy it and present it to the public for rental. Now, I assume the, the second category, the putting green people, are vanishingly small. I think so. And crazy. I think so in this market. But but the other two categories, the, the, the house is being purchased to live in. And in the other ex- example, the house is being purchased for someone else to live in. So in terms of it, it, it doesn't seem to change the calculus in the broader market of whether or not you are living in the house or someone else is living in the house. 
Yeah, I mean, institutional investors, you know, they don't buy these homes just to sit on empty properties. I mean, that would do them absolutely no good. Where would the return be in that? That would just be, you know, a a cost to them, a huge cost to them. So that's not what's happening. What is actually happening is that in a lot of cases, they are buying homes. And so that does reduce the supply of owner occupancy homes. But at the same time, it also increases the supply of rental homes and substantially so. You know, there's been research that documents this. And the positive and notable thing there is that it allows the financially constrained who probably wouldn't be able to live in a single family home, wouldn't qualify for a mortgage in some of these single family home only neighborhoods. It allows them to actually move into these neighborhoods that are maybe richer in amenities and, you know, maybe richer in other ways as well, um, financially, you know, uh, higher end uh, neighborhoods that previously had few rental units. So from that perspective, you know, institutional investors are actually providing a service. I should also say the other thing that institutional investors do, and this has been documented as well, is that they put a floor under the distressed housing market. So not as relevant now, but in the years following the financial crisis, they really did fill a void and served a valuable purpose in this way in that they helped to stabilize markets that were in freefall. So they would buy these homes that were worth virtually nothing that needed an enormous amount of repairs in some cases. And for various different reasons, they have institutional investors are able to make repairs more efficiently than owner-occupiers are. And they generally compete not with mom and pops to do that, but actually compete with other you know, professional house flippers and that type of thing to do that. So they serve they serve the market in a variety of different ways. Let me hit you with, an, with another complaint that may implicate institutional investors. We have a, an environment right now of high interest rates. This would mean that somebody who wanted to get a traditional mortgage, 20-year fixed, 30-year fixed mortgage, this raises the cost of their overall outlay for housing. And that means they would have to buy a smaller house or a less expensive house than they might otherwise buy. Institutional investors are perhaps more likely to be cash buyers of homes. They can avoid the mortgage market entirely. Does that change anything? I think a lot of times when we talk about institutional investors, they are sort of a symptom, any influence that they have on the market that's negative is often a symptom of the market itself. So problems in the market in itself. So you mentioned, you know, mortgage rates being high, certainly the case. Um, certainly that's constraining people right now from buying new homes. And so I think that that's a real concern. And it's true that investors are not as constrained um, on a cash basis or resource basis as your typical mom and pop. But the real issue in the housing market, it's not the investors that are involved, which we didn't really talk about this, but they're a very small part of the housing market, despite the fact that the house, the U.S. housing market is one of the largest markets in the world. They, are, they make up a very small share um, of single-family home purchases, for instance. But the real issue is that there is not more abundant housing supply 
It's not, you know, the investors being involved and occupying a small share of single family home purchases or something else. It's the fact that in markets that have strong job growth and that have housing supply that has been limited for decades by local governments, you are almost forcing the issue. You are kind of pitting, you are pitting investors against mom and pops in a, in a way that is unnecessary. And if you were to radically overhaul the regulatory landscape and make it a lot easier to develop homes, then many of these other issues that we talk about just would matter a lot less. And there would be many more options at a lower price for homeowners. It, to the extent that the housing crunch is just lots of individual metropolitan area housing crunches where the, you know the bulk of the the regulation takes place you know this is local people who don't want a lot of large developments in their area and it just seems like institutional investors are the people who maybe have the 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 kind of leverage and the kind of ability to build a lot of new housing and maybe they're just a convenient boogeyman to cover up for the actual preferences of local people within a community. Yeah, I think that investors, you know, they are a convenient boogeyman in a lot of ways to a lot of people locally, uh, to local people, yes, because they don't have to look at themselves in the mirror as the problem in terms of, you know, local pushback. That's something that I know you've talked about a lot on the show, the not in my backyard folks, the anti-development pressure at the local level is a huge problem. But I think also for policymakers themselves, because of course, rather than having to take a look at the policies that are involved in limiting supply so drastically at the local level, they can point to somebody else entirely who maybe doesn't you know, live in the area and people don't know much about how investing works. And so it's a very convenient excuse for housing affordability problems today. Vanessa Brown Calder directs Opportunity and Family Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. Thank you for listening.